Morning, everyone. If we can be turning in our Bibles to Romans and chapter 3. This week I was at a conference on the Reformation. And it was all the speakers were either from Oxford, Cambridge, or Durham universities. It was very academic. And you'll be glad to know I'm not going to bring anything of what I learned this week, this morning. Did they decide it would be a good idea? What, the Reformation? They were uncertain. Um, Let's read in chapter 3, verse 21 to 26. But now the righteousness of God, apart from the law, is revealed being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ, to all and on all who believe, for there is no difference. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God set forth as a propitiation by his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness Because in his forbearance, God had passed over the sins that were previously committed to demonstrate at the present time his righteousness, that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. And then chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. As a young man, Martin Luther struggled with a deep sense of guilt and a desire to gain acceptance from God. He struggled, he, he, he battled with it, he wondered how he could, what he could possibly do that would gain him acceptance with God and he had this deep sense of guilt within him. At the age of 21 he was caught in a severe thunderstorm and a bolt of lightning struck and knocked him off his horse and nearly hit him. And he cried out in the thunderstorm in fear, And he said, if I survive this, I'll become a monk. I don't recommend that. (laughs) And so he did. However, the peace with God that he sought continued to elude him. In 1510, he travelled to Rome as part of a delegation. And he went to every church, seeking seeking out every relic, in the hope that one of the saints would grant him this peace that, that he was after. But he also observed the corruption in the priesthood of the church in Rome. Nevertheless, he returned to Germany, still committed to the Roman church, but still not at peace. And eventually, and not, could be gobsmacking for some of us, but his journey, his, his seeking after peace, led him back to the Bible. You'd think that should be the first place for a monk to go, but, but not in the times. And he started to examine the scriptures, And especially Romans and Galatians. And there he discovered that we're justified, made right with God, not on the basis of anything we do, or can do, or have done, or could possibly do in the future. But we're made made right with God through faith in Jesus Christ and that alone. And this became one of the key doctrines of the Reformation. And it contrasted with this idea of salvation by works, of earning your way to heaven, of trying to make yourself good enough. The agenda of the Roman Catholic Church at the time. Martin Luther never intended to split the church. 
His desire was to reform it. However, when he stood before the Diet of Worms in 1522, where he was being ordered to recant and say, this doctrine that you're teaching is not the teaching of the church, therefore you must deny it, or else we will burn you at the stake. He was forced to say, because of the peace that he had come to, here I stand, I can do no other. Because he knew it was only through justification that what Jesus had done, that he found peace with God and could stand at that time. He couldn't give up on the truth that had brought him to a place of peace with God. And so the Roman church left him no option other than to leave it and to start a new church in order to bring others into the freedom that he had discovered. So what is this doctrine? What is this doctrine that changed not just the church, but the whole history of Europe from that point on? It changed beyond recognition everything of the continent in which we live. Well, it starts in Romans 3, verse 10. Let's just read that for a moment. As it's written, there is none righteous. No, not one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks after God. They've all turned aside. They have together become unprofitable. There is none who does good. No, not one. You see, God had a problem. He wanted to have a relationship with his creation But we instinctively, almost, are sinners. We can't help but do things wrong. And even the best of us still does things wrong. And God can't have a relationship with anybody who isn't righteous, perfect. Because he would just burn them up because of his almighty holiness and righteousness. But he created us as creatures with a free will. And with that free will, we chose to rebel against God and go our own way. However, as his creatures, he still loves us. And he wants to have that relationship with us. So how could he reach across the divide that our rebellion had caused in order to build a relationship with God, with us? God's plan to restore us began, not at the cross, but with a man called Abraham. And God chose Abraham And he was a man who responded with faith. He was living in Haran, which is in modern-day southeastern Turkey. And it was a city on the trade routes between Nineveh and Babylon. And amongst other places, it was an important place for stopping off when traveling. And it was metropolitan, and it was comfortable, and it was a big city. And God spoke to Abraham and said, set off with me on a journey. And Abraham was taken by God into what we would a land called Canaan, what we would now call Israel. And Abraham went with God in obedience. And God gave him an inheritance and a promise of inheritance, which consisted of land, children, and blessing. And told him that through him all the families of the earth would be blessed. And Abraham responded in faith to God and left the comfort of the city to become a a tent-dwelling nomad. And later, God promised him that even though he was childless, his heir would be his own flesh and blood, that he would have a child. And in Genesis 15:5, it said, Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. How did Abraham get righteousness? Not through what he did, 
Not through circumcision, because that followed later on. Not through obedience to the law. Not through doing all the right things. He got righteousness through believing in faith what God promised. That's how righteousness comes. Through faith. Through believing what God had said. Did this make him a righteous man? No. He still did stuff wrong. He still sinned. He still made mistakes. However, God declared over him that he was now in. He was included in the people of God. And through him, many others would come to be included in the people of God. In other words, Abraham was justified, made righteous, made right with God through his faith. In the Hebrew language and in the Greek, there's no difference between the words justice and righteousness. They are the same word. And so Abraham was declared righteous or justified by his faith in God. And that's the whole basis for Paul's arguments in Romans 3 and 4. That it's no different for us. That it's not about what we do. It's not about the things we can perform. It's not about any righteousness or good things that we can perform to to make it right with God. It's by believing in what Jesus has done for us. You see, what we're seeing here in Romans is a big court case. And the judge is presiding and the case is being considered. In any case, other than the judge, there is the accuser and the accused. And in order to be acquitted, does the accused have to become perfect in all their ways? No. You can be unrighteous but still be acquitted in terms of what you're on trial for. And at the end of the case, the judge will declare you acquitted, and thus you will be justified. And that has nothing to do with how righteous you are, but has everything to do with your legal standing regarding the case being considered. And in Romans 3, 23 to 24, Paul says that we are all sinners, that we've all sinned, that we've all fallen short of the glory of God, but the basis of our acceptance before God, our justification, is not whether we sin or not, but on our faith in God's faithfulness, which has been shown through Jesus' death on the cross. In other words, when Jesus died on the cross, he took upon himself the punishment for everything we've ever done, everything we can do wrong today, and everything we can do wrong in the future. He's taken the punishment for every sin of every person in the world from the beginning of time. He's borne the punishment that was ours. That the anger of God towards sin and unrighteousness was poured out on him when he died on the cross. And because that happened, God no longer holds us accountable for the sin that we've committed. Because if he did, he would have to kill us. But he's killed his son. He poured out that punishment upon his son that we might not have to bear it. And so we are justified, not on the basis of anything we've done, but because Jesus bore our sin on our behalf. And this also means that when we stand before him on judgment day, and we all will, God will not hold us to account for our sin because he's already declared the case against us closed. It's dealt with. It's finished. It's been borne by Jesus on the cross. So how do we make this effective in our lives now? Through faith. In other words, by believing 
that what Jesus did on the cross has taken away the guilt of our sin by believing that God does not look upon us as sinners anymore, but rather as saints. And by knowing that because of the declaration of God over our lives, we now have access into the very throne room of God. And we can have fellowship with the Almighty. Having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we also have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in hope in the glory of God. We have access, we have fellowship, we have relationship with the living God. We have all our past dealt with, we have our guilt dealt with, we have our sin dealt with. And we can walk in a new way. Does that mean we can walk how we like now? No, because that's cheap grace. The response is that we then give ourselves and everything we have back to him. And choose to live as he's designed us to live. But it's not on the basis of how we live that we receive that forgiveness. It's on the basis of the completed and finished work of Jesus. God and his grace is the source of our justification. We are justified freely by his grace. It's free to us, but it costs Jesus everything. This all comes to us because of the grace of God, as David informed us last week. And his grace is his loving kindness towards us. You see, grace is getting what we don't deserve. It's utterly undeserved favor. It's unconstrained goodwill poured out. Grace is God loving us so much that he gave himself generously in and through Jesus Christ and came to our rescue. And Christ and his cross are alone the grounds of our justification. What God did through the cross, the death of his son in our place, Paul explains in this passage in three notable points. He says, first of all, that God justifies us through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented him in a sacrifice for atonement through his blood, through, through faith in his blood. And he did this to demonstrate his justice so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. When Christ came, went to the cross, there was a redemption of sinners. There was an atonement of God's wrath and there was a demonstration of his justice. I just want to explain those three things for a few moments in case we haven't got them. Redemption. Redemption is the word that Paul specifically uses. And in the Bible, redemption has a specific meaning. It's talking about being bought out of the slave market. If somebody was a slave, then the only way to buy them out of slavery was to redeem them. To buy them, to pay the price that they were worth and bring them out of slavery and then to set them free. A price had to be paid for a slave to go free. Paul is telling us that when the Messiah died on the cross, he redeemed us with his own blood. He bought us and set us free. But how were we slaves? We were slaves to sin and in bondage to our own guilt. And Christ Jesus shed his blood as the ransom price, the price that needed to be paid to take us out of that slavery and to bring us into freedom. Consequently, we now belong to him. We're no longer bound to sin. We no longer have to live under the guilt of our sin. Whatever you've done in the past, whatever you do today, and whatever you do in the future is forgiven because Jesus has brought you out of slavery to sin. 
Secondly, the word he uses is atonement or propitiation. The predicament we as humanity were facing was not only our own sin, not only our guilt, but God's anger against sin, which separated us from him. It was the barrier between us that meant we could not come into relationship with him. And where there is divine wrath, there's a need to avert it. And God's answer was on the cross. God's own great love dealt with his own holy wrath through the gift of his own son who took our place, bore our sin and died our death. Thus God gave himself to save us from himself. And the picture is this. We can stand before God on the day of judgment. We can say, well, I did this and I did that and I did that. Is that make me good enough? Or we can stand knowing that Christ's death is the death that's died and say, I'm standing here not because of anything I've done, but because Jesus has died in my place. Born the punishment that I deserve. And therefore, I'm accepted and justified on the basis of that sacrifice. And then Paul says it's a demonstration. He says, God left unpunished the sins of former generations, not because of an injustice on his part, nor with any thought of condoning evil, but only because it was his fixed intention in the fullness of time to punish their sins in the death of his son. In other words, God didn't punish the, the sins of people up until the cross. He was saving up that punishment to be poured out on Jesus, so that even those before who had walked in faith, such as Abraham, could be forgiven through the cross. This was the only way God could be just and demonstrate his justice and simultaneously be the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. Otherwise, all those before the cross could have stood there on the day of judgment and said, well, Jesus hadn't died for me. How could I have faith? But their faith was looking forward to to God's redemption that came in Jesus. Both justice and justification would be impossible without the cross. But we take those to ourselves, we receive the benefit of them through our faith in what Jesus has done on our behalf. It is faith that saves us. It's faith that sets us free. It's our belief and trust in the living God and in what he's done on our behalf that brings us into freedom and brings us into the peace with God that every person needs to walk in if they're to live a whole and complete life. It's all through Jesus. It's all through the cross. It's all through the love of the Father poured out on us. And it's all ours that we can grab hold of it through faith. God substituted his son to bear our sin and die on the cross. So that God had atonement for his wrath and redeemed us and justified us at the same time. And at the same time demonstrated his justice. The gospel... The good news is that God's grace has turned away his wrath. That God's son has died our death and borne our judgment. And that God has mercy on the undeserving. That there's nothing left for us to do or even contribute. Faith's only function is to receive what grace offers. I am justified by faith alone. I can add nothing to it. I can take nothing from it. It's all of Jesus Christ. As a PS on this, on the 31st of October 1999,
the Lutheran and Catholic churches issued a joint declaration on the doctrine of justification. Essentially, the Roman church has now come to accept the doctrine of justification by faith, as formulated by Martin Luther. Don't we wish they'd done it 500 years earlier? (laughs) But nevertheless, it's good that in the fullness of time, they've come to accept that what Martin Luther said was correct. And let's conclude our time by affirming our faith in him.